Thank you, Courtney. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. So, he is risen. He is, he is risen indeed. It's the reason Pentecostals still shout and Charismatics still dance. It's the reason Baptists still say amen. And we Presbyterians, we still furrow our brows, sit on our hands, and nod our heads silently. For some of us, perhaps, Easter is just another tradition of the spring season. Put on a pastel shirt, get to church, have some honey-baked ham. But for the Apostle Paul, who wrote those words that we've just heard, Easter signals something else entirely. Easter is, for the Apostle Paul, the hinge of human history upon which the door to eternal life swings. Otherwise, as he writes a few verses later, otherwise, we are still in our sins, Our faith is futile. Our worship is worthless. It's like that story I heard not long ago about a Christian college not far from here. Uh, They sent their students into a neighborhood, walking door to door and and knocking uh, to talk with residents about spiritual matters. It's a true story. Two of them knocked on the door of one house, and they found a frenzied mother of three. She had a vacuum in one hand. She was holding a screaming infant in the other There was food burning on the stove, and it was so messy, the government could have sent in FEMA. (laughs) Maybe even the EPA. Good afternoon, ma'am, the students began. (laughs) Are you interested in eternal life? (laughs) She took a brief look around and then responded with a blank stare. Frankly, I don't think I could stand it. But the Apostle Paul sees in Jesus a third day story. These stories are all over the Bible. Perhaps that's why he repeats that phrase, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Like, remember when Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham? But early on, Father Abraham thought he might have to sacrifice his son Isaac. But Isaac's life is saved on the third day. Or when Joseph's brothers are put in prison, but then they're released on the third day? How about Jonah? He's swallowed by a massive fish and then spit out onto dry land on the third day. How's that for an Easter story? (laughs) Esther prays, and the people are protected. Rahab hides the spies who are saved, all on the third day. And Paul is convinced that those stories, just like the Easter story, it actually happened. That this Jesus came down from the heights of heaven. That he came down to our level and even knelt down to wash his disciples' feet. That he humbled himself even further. That he was crucified, he was dead, and he was buried. He went further down into the ground. But oh, that third day. That's why Paul includes those names of Peter and James, the 12 disciples. He says Jesus appeared to over 500 people at once. That's what Richard Bauckham, a historian, refers to as ancient footnotes. See, when I was in grad school, I loved footnotes. Anybody remember footnotes that take up half the page? And you love it because you're like, there's no way footnotes can be on the test, right? But Richard Bauckham says, when when Paul writes, within a couple years of Jesus' death and resurrection, hey, talk to Peter, talk to James, talk to the other disciples. There are 500 of us there. When Paul makes that claim, when he gives those names, he's inviting Paul, hey, if you don't believe me, just ask Peter. Ask James, ask the other disciples. They were there. But one name that he doesn't mention is my favorite Easter story of all. 
Luke tells us that early Sunday morning, a number of women went to the tomb, because you ladies are good at sticking together in groups. <laughs> they found the stone rolled away, right? But, but there was no body. Luke tells us, now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Which seems a little bit strange, but this happens all the time in the gospel accounts. Jesus is always saying, do you have eyes but not see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? French novelist Marguerite Duras once put it this way. She said, the art of seeing has to be learned. The art of seeing has to be learned. And so Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened here in these days? We've all been there, right? Especially now. Are you the only one that didn't read that article? Are you the only one that didn't see that clip, didn't look at that post, didn't hear about that tweet? But Jesus plays along. What things, he asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Brene Brown has a short cartoon video that features a little fox wearing a t-shirt. And he's walking along and he falls into a hole and he yells from down below. He says, I'm stuck. It's dark. I'm overwhelmed. And along walks a, a little deer and the deer looks into the hole from up above and she says, oh, it's really bad down there, huh? Want a sandwich? But then a bear in a baseball cap, instead of watching from above, climbs down the ladder to be with the fox in the hole. He says, I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. One author puts it this way. He says, sometimes we think God is like the deer. Oh, is it really bad down there? But the Gospels tell us that God is like the bear. The bear who lumbers down the ladder to be with us. G.K. Chesterton explained. He said, it's never been quite enough to say that God is in his heaven and all is right with the world, since the rumor is that God has left his heavens to set it right. You see, these two walking along, away from Jerusalem, have learned to see somehow that Jesus is like the bear, that he lumbered down the ladder, that God left his heavens to set it right. But as they walk away, weary and worn out, discouraged and despairing, it seems like the greatest story has come up short. They say the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. We had hoped. It's in the past tense. We had hoped it was a third day story. We had journeyed to Jerusalem with hopes held high, singing Hosanna in the street, but now all hope is lost. 
The one for whom they had left their jobs and their homes and their families now lay dead in the grave. In Dante's Inferno, there's a sign over the entrance to hell that reads, Abandon all hope, you who enter here. And we've all been there before. Feeling like we've had to abandon hope when an opportunity falls through and you don't know how you'll make ends meet. When a relationship goes off the rails and you can't get it back on track. When you get a phone call to receive the results from that test. We've all been there before in one way or another. And for many of us, the challenges of the past two years have given new opportunities to abandon hope. Our hosannas have been hushed. And that's why I so appreciate that Luke tells this story. No one else tells this story, but Luke does. I love this story because it's a story so true to our experience of life, of faith, of relationships, of church. Times when we felt like we've had to abandon all hope. And I love that Luke tells us the story of Cleopas and his companion walking away when things didn't work out the way they should. Perhaps we too have felt like we've journeyed with Jesus to Jerusalem, but in the lyrics of you too, we still haven't found what we're looking for. And in the same way that we journeyed to Jerusalem, perhaps we too have felt like walking away from faith, from church, from Jesus. Maybe there are times when we too feel weary and worn out. We too know the feeling of discouragement and despair and doubt. And sometimes those realities of life can be callously criticized in faith communities. And so we just kind of pretend that they're not there. We pretend that we don't feel despair or discouragement or doubt, but not Luke. Luke says, let me tell you a story about Cleopas. I love that he tells that story because in Cleopas I see a reflection of myself. I like what Oswald Chambers has to say. He says, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong It's not always a sign that a person is wrong. It might just be a sign that they're thinking. Despair not be be a sign that we're wrong. It might be honesty that what we're actually feeling in the moment. Discouragement might be completely understandable. And I love that Luke retells the story, makes sure we know it, because we've all been there. My favorite skeptic story takes place during the French Revolution when the reign of terror prompted executions right and left. Uh, There were three men waiting to be executed. There was a priest first brought to the guillotine. Do you have any last words, the executioner asked. Well, I believe God is going to save me, the priest replied. His head was put in place and the blade was dropped from high above. It came careening down but stopped just two inches from his neck. It's a miracle, the executioners remarked. And so they let him go. The second man, another priest, got into place, and he was also asked, do you have any last words? And so he, seeing the first one, he said, I think God's going to save me? Again, the blade dropped from high above, and again it stopped two inches from his neck. Another miracle, they let him go. The third man wasn't so sure about this whole faith thing. He didn't know if he wanted to be associated with those priests. It was important for him to be right, not to look gullible. As he was led forward, he too was asked, do you have any last words? He paused and he looked up at the guillotine and he said, I do, I think I see your problem. There's something jammed in the gear mechanism. (laughs) See, even at his own expense, he wanted to be right, right? Even at his own expense, he wanted to be right. That one's not a true story. (laughs) 
full disclosure. <laughs> I love that Luke relays the story of Cleopas because I find in this walk to Emmaus a reflection of many of our stories, mine included. We want to be right, even at our own expense. And I love that though weary and worn out, despairing and discouraged, perhaps even anxious, even angry, this story assures us that Jesus does not remain in Jerusalem, but journeys with us, even when we walk away. Now that's good news, isn't it? Jesus honors our questions and our concerns. And when given the opportunity, he will respond. And sometimes he'll do it quite directly. How foolish you are, he said, and how slow to believe what the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I think we've got it on the screen here. And beginning with Moses and the prophets... He explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. While he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Talk about a third day story. It's like Abraham's son, Joseph's brothers, Jonah and the fish, Rahab and the spies, Esther and the king, but it's even better. It's the third day story to end all third day stories. Like them, we have seen the sign, abandon all hope, you who enter here. But the story of Easter is that Jesus entered there, but it didn't stick. He didn't stay. The bear lumbered down the ladder, but rose back up and brought all us little foxes with him. In a rather inspired passage in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, As for you, you were dead in your sins, but because of God's great love for us, who is rich in mercy, he's made us alive with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ. See, the invitation of Easter starts on a dreary and dismal Sunday morning. It starts at the place of impossibility. But because Jesus has been raised, we too can live a whole new life. We too have been weary and worn out, discouraged and despairing. We too have been anxious and angry. If we've been awake at all the past two years, we too have abandoned hope. But hope was resurrected on that Easter Sunday morning, and his name is Jesus. So what day is it where you are? Does it still seem like Saturday? And what direction are you walking? Are you walking away or are you walking toward? I heard this week about an Australian Aboriginal tribe who instead of greeting one another with, hello, how are you? They traditionally will ask, where are you going? It's almost exactly the first question that God asks Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you? It's not far off from the question Jesus asks us on the road to Emmaus. Where are you going? What are you talking about? 
It's no mistake that in this third day story, those two disciples, as they journey from Jerusalem, they respond to Jesus by returning to Jerusalem. I love that their art of seeing is learned when Jesus breaks the bread and opens the scriptures. As Presbyterian polity tells us, true worship exists in the proclamation of the word and the right administration of the sacraments. Isn't it great how Jesus follows our polity? But what day is it where you are? Is it still Saturday? And where are you going? And do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear the one who's walking right beside you? Will you let him pass by or will you invite him in? See, we no longer have the footnotes of Peter and James and the 500 others to tell us the truth of that third day. But a great number of them gave their lives telling what happened. And they never lost the script. They never lost the plot. They went to their graves for what they knew to be true. A third day story when Jesus was raised again. And yet there are countless others around you who've experienced the good news of Easter. There are countless others around each of us who have felt the presence of this Jesus walking beside them in periods of the greatest anxiety and anger, the greatest discouragement and despair, the greatest weariness they've ever felt. There are those amongst us who have felt the presence of this Jesus walking beside them, who know of this Jesus who still comes to be with us instead of walking on by. So, friends, are you weary and worn out, but know that you've been walking away? What if Presbyterian polity actually is right? What if, and this is a wild idea, what if you could come to know God more at church of all places? Next week, we're beginning a series we're calling Letters to the Church. Letters that the risen Jesus speaks to the seven churches in and around that ancient area. Would you come and join us and think about what Jesus' word might say to our church here today? Or perhaps you're looking up and you see something jamming in the gear mechanism. <laughs> and you've got a lot of questions. You've got a lot of concerns. You're willing to take out a pastel shirt and spend an hour in church before the honey-baked ham. We'd love to welcome you to Alpha. You will find in that room a number of people who are seeking to follow after Jesus who have had a lot of those questions and a lot of those concerns. And there's no hard sell. There isn't even any follow-up. We'd be honored to welcome you to think about those questions together, to break bread together, to see what the scriptures say together, and who knows who might just walk alongside us when we do? Who knows what will happen if we can learn the art of seeing together? If you'd like to learn more, again, there's that little tear-off on the right side of your bulletin. If you'll leave it in one of the little boxes out in the narthex, we'd love to be in touch and welcome you back on April 27th. But wherever you go, however you celebrate this Easter, I pray that you would know the good news of a Jesus that is not confined to Jerusalem, but a Jesus that journeys with us. Even when we walk away, we walk away from church, walk away from faith, walk away from anything that life has thrown at us, because we've all been weary and worn out, we've all been exhausted, we've all been discouraged and in despair. But hear the good news from Cleopas. Paul doesn't mention his name in 1 Corinthians, but I love that Luke tells us his story. 
because I see in his story a hope that I need, a hope that was raised again on Easter Sunday, a hope that's named Jesus. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this third day. That even when we're weary and worn out, discouraged and doubtful, Jesus walks alongside us. That this Jesus engages our questions, discusses our concerns. That this Jesus reveals himself to us in his word and at his table. God, would you open our eyes that we might see? Would you open our ears that we might hear? Would you instill in us a hope whose name is Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen.